You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Idea of the new normal or the believer's new normal, that we've been in this situation where that phrase is being used, and it has been for decades. It's used by politicians, it's used by authorities in different ways to try and get the uh, populace to conform to various different things, whether it's an economic shutdown or, in this case, a disease. That phrase has been used. It's gotten under a lot of our skin uh, as Christians. And and so I just felt impressed to come and to talk about that because we just don't believe that a disease, which is something Jesus died to set us free from, should be allowed to determine our new normal, our our life going forward. And when you think about that, that whole message, and I understand, I, I don't get me wrong, I believe the disease is real. It's really bad for some people. It's not as bad for other people. It's honestly kind of a weird bug. I think there's a real spiritual element there. And, the, and what we need to be doing as believers is addressing the spirit behind this thing and eradicating it. Okay, I don't, I don't care who in the world ends up taking credit for that. I want us to be praying against this thing and eradicating it. But, but this message that we should accept this and that, you know, we'll wear, we'll have masks forever and we don't want, I mean, we've been told by our leaders that we should just never go back to shaking hands and hugging each other. Well, that is not acceptable to me, okay? So anyway, you know that story and I I don't want us focused on all that today, but that whole thing has produced fear and division and uh, frustration, and uh, it, it's divided us. We are a divided people right now, which is not godly either, but it's done even more along. I mean, there's been no good fruit that I can see from any of that. So we came back and we started talking about what is the believer's new normal, because that idea that we continue to change and grow and God brings things into our life that are brand new uh, we talked about the fact that the, that phrase means something that has been different, odd, uh, uh, not mainstream. That phrase, the new normal, it means that it has become acceptable, expected, those types of things. And for us, we need to expect and we need to live in the transformation that God is bringing through his word to us every day. We, we have... I mean, sometimes, and it kind of seems to ebb and flow in our lives, I think, but there are times in our life where it's like every day God's bringing something new. He's transforming the way that we think and the way that we believe and therefore the way that we approach life and go forward. He's changing the way we interact with people, how we view him, how we view one another, how we view the world, how we view doing business. I mean, all of these different things. He's transforming us. And so we live in this kind of idea of a new normal, just just constantly, but it's one that God has defined, not one that the the world has defined. And so from that whole idea, we've started talking about the new culture that we've been brought in. We've been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of, of God's dear son. And heaven or the kingdom of God has a culture. And that culture shapes a lot of who we are and, and how we function. So we've been picking out a few elements. I mean, there are, there are dozens that we could think of that are part of the culture of heaven. But 
the last couple of weeks, or last week and this week, we've been talking about this idea of purpose, that the kingdom of God is filled, that it has a culture of purpose. And I want to talk to you about that some more. And I really like tying the idea of purpose, individual purpose, God's design for every one of us and and how that functions and us fulfilling his purpose for us in our life as individuals, then God blends us together in what the Bible calls unity. And so those, those two concepts to me are really a big part of the culture of heaven. We, we don't become exactly the same as one another. We stay diverse. We have different giftings, different bents, different passions. And yet God blends us together into a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. Does that make sense to you? And if, you know, we talked about this a lot last week. So uh, if this is speaking to you, I'd encourage you to go back and get last week's uh, message. But we've been talking about culture, which is a set of shared values, priorities, customs, attitudes, goals, and practices that characterizes a people or a family or a nation or an organization. Uh, we, our homes have a culture, our churches have a culture, our businesses have a culture, our community has a culture, and this is what it is. It's a set of shared values. Well, for us as Christians, we are sharing God's values. We are being brought into and understanding through that renewing of the mind what God values, what his priorities are, and through that, what his purposes are in the earth, and then his purposes for each and every one of us. And so that's what, that's what we've been discussing, and I want to continue with that today. Um, and I, I, want to, I want to just make some of these statements to you this morning. We've got a lot of people uh, that are, have not been with us through these, so I want to just go through some of these statements we've been making. Because the idea that we're talking about is the God's purpose for my life and for your life is a reflection of his values and his priorities and essentially his purpose. What God is doing in the earth, he is doing through people. Not that the Holy Spirit isn't moving and working, but that's why and we're going to look at a verse on that in just a minute, that he has set the church in the earth to reflect to be the, the messenger of his purposes, to be the messenger of who he is, to reflect for our lives, to actually reflect who God is and what he's doing. And so we, I, let's just go there. I want to, I'm just going to jump through this. Um, I want to go over to, I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation. So uh, you may just want to listen, but this is Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm going to start with verse 6. It's a little tough because Paul writes in giant paragraphs, and you kind of just have to break in at some point to what he's talking about. But this is um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6 from the Passion Translation. It says, here's the secret. The gospel of grace has made you non-Jewish believers into co-heirs of his promise through your union with him. And you have now become members of his body, one with the anointed one or one with Jesus Christ. Verse seven says, I have, I have, Paul speaking, I have been made a messenger of this wonderful news by the gift of grace that works through me. 
even though I am the least significant of all his holy believers, this grace gift was imparted when the manifestation of his power came upon me. Let me just talk about that for a minute. Paul's saying when he met Jesus Christ on the road, there was a change that happened in him. God's grace came upon him and the gifting that Paul carried. In this case, he was an apostle. He was a believer first, right? And then he was gifted and called to be an apostle. He was a teacher. He, he did the things that Paul did. He wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. He did the things that he went and did by the grace, the empowering of God. And, re, and remember, as we talk about this, and, and I know I say this to you every time we talk about that word grace, but it bears repeating. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. That's the definition most of us learned in Sunday school, and it's true the unmerited favor of God, but that, that same word is used to describe the ability that God gives to be or do what we could never be on our own. So it is translated as gifts sometimes. It is translated in different ways. There is an empowering that comes through grace to do things that we couldn't do. Paul wasn't smart enough to write, write two-thirds of the New Testament. That was the grace of God working through him. Paul started innumerable churches and, and raised up leaders in launching the church in the first century. That was the grace of God working through him. He endured tremendous persecutions and things. It was the grace of God working through him. That same process works for every one of us. This is how it works. We come to Christ. We come to know him. And as we come to know him, he deposits or activates some things in us. Some, he has a purpose for our life. He designed us for that purpose, and he, by his spirit and his power, activates things in us. Those, those gifts that are in us, and I'm not just talking about the, the nine gifts of the spirit or the you know, five offices or, or whatever, all those are valid, but I'm talking about in every one of us, there are gifts, there are, there are graces upon our lives that direct our hearts in a lot of ways toward various things. You are passionate about something that I might be partially passionate about, but not nearly as much as you because God, that's a part of his purpose for your life. He's, he's giving you this dream, this desire, and he's working that in you. And he has graced you to go out and be a part of his work in the earth to accomplish something. This is how this works. Grace comes upon us. And this is what Paul is talking about. And he says it came through the manifestation of his power that came upon him. Grace alone empowers me so that I can boldly preach this wonderful message to the non-Jewish people, sharing with them the unfading, inexhaustible riches of Christ, which are beyond comprehension. My passion is to enlighten every person as to this divine mystery. It was hidden for ages past until now and kept a secret in the heart of God, the creator of all. The purpose, all right, so this is, he's talking about God's purpose. He says the purpose. In fact, a lot of your translations talk in this verse about divine purpose, all right? The purpose of this was to unveil before every throne and rank of angelic orders in the heavenly realm God's full and diverse wisdom revealed through the church. 
this perfectly wise plan was destined from eternal ages and fulfilled completely in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he he goes on. I'd have to just keep reading verse after verse after verse. What Paul is saying is God had a purpose in his heart from the beginning, from before the creation of the earth and Adam and Eve and all of that, God had a purpose in his heart to create mankind, to to fulfill something in this earth, to represent him, to co-labor with him, to be partners with him. And, And that didn't change when man fell. He immediately started to work the plan of salvation so that in this time, in this age, he says, through the church, and that doesn't mean, you know, the church is used a couple different ways, that word church in the New Testament. I mean, it is used of local congregations. It is also used of what we call the universal church. It's all believers in every age of all time. This was a part of our role and assignment. It is our role today as the church, all of us. All right, we are in the earth to manifest God's uh, some, some translations use the word manifold. The idea is this broad spectrum of God's wisdom to be at work in the earth. It's through the grace that is upon believers. God wants his wisdom to affect the whole planet, to affect everyone's life. He has a plan for how life works. He wants it to work well for people. He wants people to live in blessing and fulfillment and, and strength. And he wants to release that. And it says here, it says here that before all of these various rankings in the angelic realm, the church is to be manifesting the wisdom of God. And honestly, the verbiage here, and I think the Passion Translation brings this out in, in their uh, footnotes there. It's, it's almost like that, and there's other places that say this, that the angelic world is looking into our lives and God being manifested to us and through us to learn about grace. What does the grace of God look like. They look into what he's doing through you and I to see that and to understand the grace of God and the wisdom of God. That's a weird thought to most of us, but this is what the Bible says. And it teaches that our lives are to be, there's, we're to be putting on such a display of the grace of God that others in heaven and on earth can look in and can see God in manifestation. Doesn't make us God. You understand what I'm saying, I think. But as God works in your life, it is to both be a display of his grace and also a release of his wisdom into the earth. Now, I mean, to most of us, if you accept that at all, it's like, wow, that's, you know, that's heavy. That's a lot. But we're not required to do it, to figure it out and to make this happen. We, our part is to connect with him and just let him work through our lives. And I think every one of us feel inadequate. When we talk about things like this, we should. (laughs) We feel inadequate. It's kind of the point, you know. We are inadequate. 
But through Christ, it says, we can do all things. Through Christ, nothing's impossible. Through Christ, through what he's doing in your life. So, so what that leaves is for us to just seek him. We said last week, we don't find our purpose by seeking purpose. We find our purpose by seeking him, pressing into him. And then it unfolds in our life. And a lot of times you're the one that can't see it. Other people look at you and they see the grace of God working in you and they see the gifts of God in you and they see where you're grace that maybe they're not grace and they'd see this kind of thing and you'll be sitting there saying, oh no, you know, I'm nothing. God doesn't do that with me, I don't, you know. And everybody else is looking at you going, are you kidding? You have this ability in you that is so beautiful and speaks of God. You, this comes through you in a way that it never comes through me and we can all look in and see that. Is this making sense? Karen thinks so. So, hey, <laughs> as long as she's happy, I'm happy. Okay. Uh, so, so this whole idea, let me, let me run down just a few ideas here and then, then we can get into some, some newer stuff. So, we said this last week, and so I just want to go through it quickly. The kingdom of God has a culture of purpose. The first place we even see him is as a creator. He's doing something in the earth. So there is something instilled in people that is a desire to know our purpose and to, ha to have a purpose and to know our purpose. That is a normal thing for us. And for us as believers, we need to understand it is found as we press into Jesus Christ. We will never be as fulfilled and satisfied as we can be without discovering what that purpose is and flowing in God's purpose for our life. Again, I see a lot of people get really frustrated with this. And I've spent time frustrated with it in my life because there's a passion in our hearts to know what our purpose is, to know what it is. And we can get really frustrated to not be able to find it out today. We want to know it today. We want to start walking in the fullness of it tomorrow, right? And so we can get very frustrated with that. And I think it's so important for us to understand that that's just not how it works. And, and there are things like this, there are a number of things like this in the scripture that, you know, why do we need to press in to faith in God? Why do we need to do things a certain way? Why doesn't God just do it? Personally, I believe it's because he loves relationship and he wants the relationship with us and he wants to walk out his purpose for you throughout your life with you. He, he doesn't, it's not just an assignment. It's not just here, kid, go do this and then get back to me. He wants to be involved every step of the way. And he reveals purpose as he changes character, as he grows character in us and we are ready to handle more. He reveals more of his purpose. So it just seems to me, and, and this is just from, you know, watching this for a lot of years, that it seems to me that for the most part, it, uh, God's purpose unfolds more than just being dropped 
on most of us. Okay, we said last week, and this is just real important. I really want to move forward. God's knowing God's purpose for your life, it requires that you understand that you were not an accident. I think that is such an important idea. So many people right now are taught they're just an accident. They're just an animal like any other animal. Uh, there's, no, there's no eternity. There's no purpose. And, and that is causing so much of the upheaval in our society. It's causing so much aimlessness, hopelessness. I believe the, the increase in suicide, things like that, have uh, come from this whole issue. So let me, I'm just going to go ahead and go forward. There were a number of really good verses we looked at last week, uh, and you can pick that up, but I, I do want to get into the rest of this. So these are things that knowing your divine purpose, these are things that it will produce in you. Knowing your divine purpose will tell you a lot about who you are, and why you're here. People need to know why they're here. And as God unfolds those graces in you and the, that purpose, you'll learn a lot about who you are. What did God design you for? You have been designed on the inside and on the outside. And you have been brought into the earth at this time for a part of God's purpose. You don't have to be everything to everybody. People that don't know who they are really struggle usually with trying to please people, with trying to be like something that they're not, but maybe they admire. Where we really start to see things work well is when everybody can just settle into, this is who God has created me to be, and I'm going to go for it 100%. This over here is a beautiful thing and a part of God's plan, but it's not what he has called me or designed me to do. So somebody else fits into that slot and that category. And we can start to really appreciate the things in other people that are different from us. Rather than all trying to be the same, all trying to have the same desires, look the same, sound the same, do things the same, Rather than that, we start to see this beautiful tapestry that God creates. And, and to me, again, this is a lot of what the church is. It's God blending together a diverse group of people that he made diverse. He gave different gifts to different ones throughout the body of Christ. Divine purpose will cause you to look beyond just this everyday world and embrace an eternal or heavenly view. This is really important. When you start functioning in God's purposes and thinking about what his purposes are in the earth, all of a sudden it's not just about your job and the next day or next week or next year or, or any of that. When, when, um, when difficult things happen, you know, when we lose somebody close to us or things don't go the way we want, we, we can realize that there's something beyond what we're living through right now. All right, there's a divine plan and a divine purpose. And I'm not saying that all the things that happen on earth are God's doing. I don't believe that. You guys that come here know we don't believe that. I'm saying that we can always lift up our eyes when things are hard. We can lift up our eyes and realize we have a divine purpose. God has a divine purpose for us. There is a place for us to look, a place for us to go. There is something for us to focus on besides just what's going on this week. Because sometimes just what's going on this week really stinks. 
And if you get you know, mired down in that, then you're going to spend all of your energy just trying to deal with that instead of keeping your eyes lifted up and moving forward. All right, knowing divine purpose creates a sense of accountability to God in life. Again, this is just so important. Knowing that you have a divine purpose means you will also have accountability to God because you were designed for it, you were placed in it, you're graced for it. He will reveal it to you over time. But you always get the choice, and I always get the choice, to accept it or reject it, to walk in his purpose or not walk in his purpose. He doesn't violate free will with the fact that he set all this up for us and created us with a purpose. So there is accountability over what we do with our lives. There is a purpose for your life. There is a design. You are made to meet and to do a certain set of things in this earth and I believe we will be accountable for that. And I think that's so important as to the way we live our lives. Keeps us out of just self-centeredness, keeps us walking in the right place because we know that there is one day where we are going to give an account of our life. All right, does that make sense? Okay. And then divine purpose is the seedbed for vision. I really don't have time to get into a lot of this this morning, but... We talk a lot about vision. What's your vision for life? Well, until you know, unless you, until you have an idea of what God's purpose is for you, there's no place for vision to go. The scripture says that people that have no vision, no understanding, it's like the framework that gets God pur God's purpose done. It's the steps to move forward. It's what God's putting in your heart. And the scripture says that people that don't have that, it, it says they perish, but that word perish really is a picture of water being poured on the, on the ground and just going everywhere. There's no channel for it to flow in. There's no direction to it. When we don't have vision, we don't have direction in our life. Vision comes out of knowing God and knowing what his purpose is. And again, I feel like I'm kind of hitting around this. To a big degree, the way that you figure out what God's purpose is for your life is through the desires of your heart. It says that, it says that he will give us, as we seek him, he will give us the desires of our heart. So I'm not talking about just every whim and desire that comes into your head. You know, we can all get messed up with that. But I'm talking about those things that God plants in your heart that align with his values and his priorities. But you have this passion about it. Sometimes it's almost an unexplainable passion about it. You know, for me personally, a big part of that in my life has been the word of God and ministering the word of God. It doesn't matter what I'm doing or involved in I want people to have the word of God. It's not, I wasn't always that way. This is something God did in me, the word. And I know there are other really valuable things in the kingdom, but my deal is the word of God. I believe the word of God will set people free. It'll put them on the right path. It'll bring blessing into their life. The promises will be manifested in their life. I just, you feed on God through his word. I mean, to me, it's all about the word. You get Karen talking, you'd think it was all about worship. It's, you know, two really important things. You get other people talking, it's about prayer. All of those are true. <laughs> They're all true. 
But God puts a certain passion in your life. And that is what he wants to manifest through you into the earth. That's what he wants the angels to see in you. Okay? Some of us see angels all the time. And that's, you know. Uh, so, so vision really flows out of knowing what his purpose is. Divine purpose gives meaning to life. It creates significance that's free just from, you know, when you have a sense of significance because you know God has a purpose for your life, then you're no longer dependent on the opinions of people and, you know, what mom thinks you should give your life to, what, what other people think about you. A lot of, uh, when you're, you know, when you're walking in God's purpose, a lot of people aren't going to like it. Oh, well, you know, that's not who you're going to stand and give account to at the end of your life. But, but there's a significance to what you're doing. And let me say this, this isn't just about, you know, we talk about divine purpose. We talk about this. And I think I said this last week. We tend to think of big spiritual things. We, we think of leading a revival. We think of, you know, teaching the Bible. We think of getting loads of people saved. We get all that's true. But his purpose and his design for you also needs to manifest itself in everyday life in the things of everyday life. I think I said this last week that, you know, the, the righteousness of God in Christ, which is who you are, needs to mow the lawn, you know, needs to move snow in the winter, needs to treat your neighbors well, needs to live an honorable life, needs to run your business in an honorable way. I mean, all of these things are manifestations of God's design and purpose for you. He manifests himself. People can see what it means to be an honest person as they look at you. That's all a part of God's purpose working in your life. So this is very practical. It's not just, sometimes we want to relegate this to big, what we consider big spiritual things, but we need to have those heaven-centered priorities in every area of our life. Does this make sense to you? All right. Um, so let me, I just, this came to me this way for this particular teaching. And I'm just going to lay this out to you because I do want to talk for a couple minutes about unity. Um, it's the believer's primary purpose is to know God. Philippians chapter 3 tells us that. Most of you know this verse. It's Philippians 3.10 from the Amplified Bible. It says, for my determined purpose is that I may know him that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection. And it, and it goes on. But our primary purpose is to know God and then to reflect God in this earth, to manifest the Lord and what he's doing in us in this earth. And so to me, it kind of uh, came to me as that, you know, if, if we focus in on that one purpose, if we make that our single goal, know him intimately, do the things required, give the time required, to knowing him intimately, then out of that we discover who we are and what he's designed us for. And from that process, we grow into, into kind of the second part of this, 
we live life as a worshiper. All right? And that doesn't just mean that we communicate or um, express our adoration for God. That's, that's, we do that in worship. But a worshiper is a person who the reverence that they hold in their hearts for God directs every part of their life. They live life differently because of their reverence for God. That's the life of a worshiper. It is a life, it becomes a life that's lived to please God. Not just to raw obey God, but to live a life that is pleasing to God. That's the life of a worshiper. The life of a worshiper is is something where um, my reverence for him absolutely determines how I treat my wife, how I raise my children, how I interact in the community because I am a worshiper, because God is number one in my life. Does that make sense to you? You do that uh, and and this, as we live as the result of living as a worshiper is that we carry out his purpose that we do things differently on a daily basis. Does this make sense to you? God showed me this years and years and years ago when I was a pretty young believer. I was working in a bicycle shop at the time. And, and he showed me this whole thing about the relationship with him, the knowing him intimately. He showed me that as like the hub of a wheel. And the, the spokes that went out from that hub were, you know, prayer and time in the word and worship and church and all these different things that were manifested out of the fact that the core of my life was one of knowing God. That was the purpose of my life, just to know him. And then, and then he showed that whole, you know, that whole wheel and, and he said, then the things that result from that, the way that you live differently, the ministry that happens, the things that result from that, that's where the rubber meets the road. You know, you go out there and you do your job differently because of these things. But, but it went that direction. It was the core was not doing the do's and don'ting the don'ts. The core was seeking to know him, just seeking to know him. If you'll make that the core, you will live life as a worshiper. Things will go the right direction. And then where the rubber meets the road in your life, things going good and things going bad, you will deal with it. In a, in a steady, strong way because the core of knowing him is producing that. Let me read one more verse here and then we've got just a few minutes more. Uh, Ecclesiastes, I love this. Chapter 12, verse 13. This is at the very end of the book. And you know, through the whole book, Solomon struggled with purpose and he struggled with meaning. What's the meaning of life? And and he tried to find it in every possible thing. He looked at everything, trying to find significance and meaning for life. And he comes down through all of this. And at the very end of the book, he says, all has been heard. The end of the matter is fear God. And he really brought it down to that. The end of the matter, the whole end of the matter is fear God. Revere and worship him, knowing that he is that's a good enough reason to revere and worship him because we know that he is. And keep his commandments for this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of his creation. 
the object of God's providence. That means everything that God has provided for you, the object of it is to know him and to revere him. This is the root of character. Fearing God, just revering God is the root of character. The foundation of all happiness we had, you know, I, I never really liked the word happiness because I think we're given something better than that in joy. But, but it is true that God wants your life to be good. God designed a good life for you. When we had first started the church, we were still over at what was the holiday and then that little room. And we did a youth meeting. And uh, there was one young guy that came and um, the, the guy that was speaking that night was asking, what do you think the purpose of your life is? What do you think the core purpose of your life is? And, and uh, this guy raised his hand. And he said, to be happy. And uh, the speaker said, no, it's not to be happy. And he said, no, are you sure? I think it's to be happy. Are you sure? It's got to be to be happy. I mean, what else would there be? You know, and he was just, and, and, you know, went on to teach about seeking God and representing God and all of that. But it was so funny because he was just really confused by the fact that the whole meaning of life was not for him to be happy, you know. Great kid, grew up to be a really neat guy. But anyway, so the foundation of all happiness, the adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances. How many of you ever have inharmonious circumstances? The adjustment to that is just revering God, living as a worshiper. And the, the whole, this is the whole duty for every man the whole duty. Focus on knowing him intimately. The rest will come to pass, will work itself out. All right, let me talk to you about unity. We've only got five minutes left, but I want to get this in here today. So again, I tie these two together because the way the body of Christ works and the way God works is he creates each of us individually. He uh, gives us these different gifts and different bents and different passions and things like that. And then he miraculously blends us together. And that's what the church is. That's what the body of Christ is. It's all these individual members who are unlike each other. that get blended together and, and function together, each in their diverse role. And it is the love of God that is the cement that keeps us together. It is as God shapes each one of us, we are able to, to work in our role and our place more and more and more, the more we get to know him. And God is glorified through the whole thing. He describes it as a structure that he is building. He describes it as his garden that's under cultivation. He describes us in all these different ways as the body, the body of Christ with all the different members. All right, and, and so this is a really central idea. So when we talk about unity, because this is a big deal. People talk, we hear this a lot. We talk about unity in the body of Christ. All right, it, unity in the Bible does not mean uniformity. It does not mean we all have the same agenda, the same passions, the same desires that we look like, we do things alike. It means harmony of diversity, diverse people, brought into harmony. One of the very first things we see in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts was that people of vastly different backgrounds and even religious uh, ideas were unified by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were given a language that they could speak that, uh, that, that actually supersedes our natural language. We could begin to pray in other tongues, all these different things. There's a lot I could say about that. But 
Um, but they were brought together around Christ. They were brought together in Christ. Bible tells us that in Christ, there is not Jew, Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, right? That we are all brought, that, that addresses ethnicity. It, it addresses racial issues. It addresses social issues. It addresses uh, religious issues. We all come together in the acceptance of Jesus Christ. So it is a blending together. These people in the book of Acts didn't lose their ethnicity. It didn't change that they were from different nations and spoke different languages. But all of a sudden, they were brought together in their acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord. It was a diverse group of people brought together and brought into harmony and cooperation in the body of Christ. Does that make sense to you? All right. So for a lot of people, and again, we run into this all the time when they look at the church. All right, whether we're looking at an individual church or whether we're looking at a, a group of churches, they perceive diversity as division. If we're not all the same, there I've had over the years, I've had many, many, many people come and, and say regarding there being more than one church in any community. Well, we should just all meet together. We're all Christians. We have different visions. And it's right that we have different visions. We have different styles of worship. And as long as we don't get, as long as we don't put that above the fact that we are all believers in Jesus Christ, it's fine. There's no problem with it. God is able to use a diversity of churches to reach different groups of people. We have always stood on the fact that as, again, as groups of churches, what we need to do is, is we need to understand that there are absolutes of Scripture. There are things that every believer has to take hold of. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and He is the only way to the Father. The Word of God is the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. It is the truth. It is a reflection of the absolutes that God has given us. If we can agree on those two things then we can have different styles of prayer and of worship and different interiors to the buildings and all that stuff. But a lot of people get so focused, I shouldn't say a lot, I shouldn't say a lot, but people from time to time get so focused on the fact that, you know, well, we should all just be the same. We want uniformity. We should all be the same. That would require, we, we have absolutes that all of us have to adhere to. All right, that's what makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. Beyond that, we have doctrinal, um, we have discussions. We look at the Bible and we have interpretations of the scripture and, and we have differences of interpretations. And all of us are going to be shown to be wrong in some of our interpretations. I have no doubt, Justin Sturrett, who's probably watching us right now, he and I get along so well. I respect his ministry. He respects my ministry. If he could get out of Canada, he would be here with us. Um, but they've got him locked up again up there. Uh, funny that that always happens to you. Uh, but he and I, we have, there are some issues that he has a different opinion on. And he has every right to be wrong. I don't, you know, I don't have a problem with that. We both know we're going to get our doctrine straightened out. We have no problem over it. We work together really well. You know, we have deductions where we take several verses and we say, well, I think this means this. And we embrace those as a church. 
but I'm not going to fight with another church in town over an interpretation or a deduction as long as we're all on board with the essentials, right? With the absolutes, with the core of who Jesus is and what his word is. The rest of that and styles, we have styles where you have a different style of worship than some others. We're not going to fight about that. We're going to enjoy that together. And everybody, there are churches that are just focused on missions. There are churches that are, their primary focus, I mean, they all preach the gospel, but their primary focus is missions. Their primary focus might be feeding the poor. Their primary focus might be prayer. Their primary focus might be any number of things. But the core beliefs are the same. We can fellowship together. But so what we do is when we all get together in one place, we respect those differences. As long as they're not heresy, we respect those differences. And we can worship together and we can preach Jesus together. But beyond that, there are other things we won't agree on. I used to meet with a group of pastors uh, weekly to pray together, small group of us. We had different beliefs about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit, and some of that didn't bother us at all. We were still able to respect each other's opinions and pray for the community, for people to come to Christ. We prayed over the things that we agreed on. The same thing works within a body. And I know I'm going over time, I'm not even going to look at the clock. We, well, the same thing happens within a body. Somebody has a strong passion for the children. Well, work with the children. Somebody else has a strong passion for prayer lead a prayer group. Somebody else has a strong passion for the word. Do a Bible study, right? But flow in and, re and in what God's called you to do and respect and appreciate the differences, the diversity. And I, I just got to finish up with this. I'm only a couple minutes over. You'll live. Because one of the, reason, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is that right now, our country is so divided and we're forgetting about our core values. We're divided over political issues, over various things. I had a young woman who I respect tremendously, uh, grew up at Believer Center. I've known her since she was a baby. Uh, and really she loves God. And she recently posted a thing in regard to the racial division and all that's going on and the riots and all of that stuff that's going on, the protests and the riots that are going on. And she was saying she was really disappointed in a lot of the leaders that she had known all of her life who weren't out there commenting and, and making declarations about what was going on and for social justice and for all of that. And I suggested that maybe that's because they've been teaching principles to you all of your life that apply to that. They've been teaching that unity is diversity in harmony, that God is no respecter of persons, that in the body of Christ, race and gender and ethnicity and all social strata, that all disappears in the body of Christ. We are to come together. We are to respect and honor people who are different than we are that the color of a person's skin has nothing to do with God's life for them and his love for them. And, and all we've been teaching this for years. We've been teaching principles like this for years. I'm not saying that we shouldn't address any injustices or things that are going on now. It's just that because it wasn't in the context of what she was passionate about today, she felt like, oh, these people aren't saying anything. We've been saying this all of your life. 
We've been saying this all of your life. And it's those principles, appreciating diversity, appreciating the differences that we have, that draw people together and really put us on a footing to love one another beyond any of those issues. Obviously, racism is always wrong. Always. Any direction. It's wrong. Gender bias, putting women down, which the church is accused of, is wrong. And the Bible doesn't teach that. And Jesus certainly didn't teach that. All of those things are wrong. And we've been saying it for decades. And we need to continue to say it. So don't, you know, don't hear me saying we should be silent. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, look at the scripture. Look at who God is. Look at how he defines unity. Drawing up into our different groups is not going to bring unity. That's just going to bring more division. Okay, did I step on enough toes? Let's stand up and pray this morning. Let's just stand up and pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning, Lord, that your house is a unified house. Lord, that we love one another beyond our differences. And honestly, we love one another and appreciate one another and celebrate with one another for some of our differences. And I just ask that you would, in showing us our purpose, you would also show us other people's purpose who are totally different than we are. They have a different passion in life and a different direction in life. Lord, that, Father, we could appreciate and support and lift them up. And Lord, I I do pray, Lord, not only in this house, but in the body of Christ, Father, that yeah, any of those natural divisions, if we've held them in our hearts, we repent, we ask your forgiveness, and we pray that the love of God that's been shed abroad in our heart, would Lord, would help us to embrace all people. Father, the only distinction you even recognize is between believers and unbelievers, and then you tell us to love unbelievers into the kingdom. There's no place for division. And so, Father, I I just pray, Lord, that these ideas would couple together in our own hearts and help us to live the way you want us to live. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to say, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin of the world on the count of three. And then, uh, yeah, we'll open up these doors and go out this way. If you have kids, they will be brought back. You got to take them with you. And uh, so we have some tables and stuff set up out back. Uh, There's good, plenty of room to distance back there if you want to hang out and chat for a while. Okay, let's say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.